Well, good morning. It's, it is good to be with you, and we are so thankful for your partnership in the gospel while we were preparing to go to the UK, while we were there, and even in the transition back. It's been, uh, it's been a blessing to have people praying for us and encouraging us in, in what the Lord's called us to do. Um, our text this morning that we'll be looking at, uh, if you have your Bibles, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I believe it will be uh, yeah, it's here up there for you as well. Uh, as you're turning there, though, this, I thought I've, I've spent a lot of time in this letter recently. And I find that maybe in this letter more than any of, other, any of Paul's other letters, he, he's bearing his heart. I mean, he certainly does that in a lot of places. But here he is, in a sense, sharing his own story. Stories have power, don't they? We love stories. We love to watch good movies. We love to read really good books. And the stories, they have power in our lives. I, one of my favorite things that I did when I was, that we did when I was growing up was going to Thanksgiving dinner at my grandma and peepaw's house. And they lived in Georgia for a lot, for a lot of that time. And so a lot of us were coming from out of state. We'd go, we'd usually have to spend the night but after sort of everybody got there and the dust settled and we'd had dinner and cleaned up, we'd go out probably on the back porch or something like that, and you could be sure that somebody was going to start telling some family stories. You could probably identify with that, right? You've probably done this too. One of my favorites, most of the stories were about my gramps, my great-granddad. He did some funny stuff. He, he once was working on the, the weed eater, and he'd taken you know, the bottom cap off to restring it. And he set it over to the side, did the work, reached over to get it and put it back on and just wouldn't quite go on there right. And he kept wrestling with it and hitting it and beating on it, getting frustrated. And then he turned it over and realized he'd had an ashtray in his hand. <laughs> Those were, that was one we always told. And everyone knew it. And it signaled community. It signaled family. It signaled relationships that we had that shared story. And they were fun to tell. God reveals himself, in a sense, in a story. The Bible we have written for us, the story of history, is God's story. The Bible is something like 75% narrative. There's a lot of story there. They teach us. Jesus taught in parables. You also, individually, and I, we all have our own individual stories, our lives. Now, they're filled with good Bad, hard, and a lot of ordinary stuff. What purpose do our lives have? What purpose do our stories have? Paul helps us here in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read it for us here, beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction." So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is God's word. Let's give him thanks for it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but have made yourself known to us. Well, we know that your word is living and active. May it have its way in our hearts this morning. May we submit our hearts and our lives to you this morning as you speak to us through your word. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see here, Paul at least he begins to share his story. He talks about some of the things that he's been through here in this passage. Now, I want to say, I know myself, and you're probably like me, I struggle to understand my story. I struggle to understand how to make sense of it sometimes. Some of the things that we go through, sometimes it doesn't make sense, does it? We struggle with those things, and if we don't understand God's story, we have no chance of understanding our own story. See, one of the big problems is our first parents tried to make sense of their story apart from God's story. They said, you know, we're going to figure this out on our own. Maybe we don't really need God. Maybe he doesn't really have our best interest in mind. Maybe we can figure it out on our own. And we inherited that same way of thinking. We try to figure it out on our own. But here... I want to say that here, Paul helps us see that our stories are used by God for his glory. And his glory is what we need more than anything. It's what we were made for. Now, he's glorified in two ways that we'll explore here in the passage. He's glorified by our stories as our stories are used for the sake of others. And he's glorified by our stories Because our stories make us more dependent on him. So we're going to explore those two things from this passage together this morning. Now, first, this aspect of our stories being used for the sake of others. What does that mean? Well, Paul, if you look back with me in verse 3 there, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those, others who are in any affliction. Verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Again, Paul says, what I go through is for you. And he's speaking to the Corinthian church. And this is written for us as the church today. He's saying, my story is for you. Verse 7 even says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Again, he's thinking about them and how he's interpreting what he's going through and saying, how is this used to bless the church? Now, there's a couple of words here that may be stuck out to you. There's one that occurs nine times just in that verses 3 
to 7. The word comfort. There's another one there, affliction and suffering. I sort of group those together. They refer to similar things. Now, affliction, it can refer to certainly physical threats, which Paul was very experienced in. But it's not just physical things. It's also mental stress, mental anxiety, distress of any kind. And we can all relate to those things. If you're not there right now, you've been there before. Maybe you're gonna, you might be there later this coming week. The other word, comfort, it's it's there nine times. It can also be translated, it's translated in other parts of the New Testament as encouragement, consoling, even exhorting. So you could quite literally translate the original language there as a calling alongside or a coming alongside. So it's encouragement, it's comfort, but it's not just comfort like, oh, Let's get you comfortable so you'll be okay. Let's make it okay. It's much, much more than that. It's an, it's an exhorting. It's reminding us of what's actually true. Think about it. When you're in distress of some kind, if you're in affliction, if you're stressed out, if you're anxious about something, do you think clearly a lot of times in those moments? I don't, I find that I don't. My mind's shooting off in all these different directions and making up all these different scenarios or what What if this, what if that, what if this happens? When we were moving back from the UK, my, my wife, we moved back three and a half months ago and she was already pregnant. And I'm thinking about all these things like, oh, what are we going to do? We've got to find a doctor. We've got to do this. We gotta, where are we going to live? What's, what's going to happen? And we forget what's true. We need to be reminded of reality. And so we need someone else to come alongside of us and offer us that comfort to say, let me tell you what's true about you. Don't you belong to the Lord? Hasn't, isn't your life in his hands? Isn't he going to take care of you? Hasn't he provided for you in the past? And people did that for us. And it was encouraging. It was comforting. It reminded us of what's true. It put our feet back on solid ground when we were floating all over the place with what ifs and what's going to happen and what about this and that. I think you can probably understand and identify with what I'm talking about. I want to tell you about a friend of mine who, uh, he's a friend, he's an elder in a church uh, somewhere else, and he has uh, cerebral palsy. He's, he's shared a lot about his story because he's seen how God is glorified in his story of faith. And he said, he's told me, just, I've spent a lot of time with him just talking, he said, if I'd been born just five or ten years later, the medical advances were in such a way that I perhaps would not have even been born with cerebral palsy. But he follows that up and says, but I was, God blessed me with it. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? How, how is that? He goes on to describe it. He says, disability is a normal part of an abnormal world, not vice versa. It's a normal part of an abnormal, meaning a broken world. He says, disability is simply a more visible occurrence of the brokenness we all suffer. It's a part of the common human experience. This is the part that brings me great comfort and encouragement when I hear his faith. He told me, he said, I believe God has used my disability in ways to help me know him 
that I might not have known otherwise. When you have cerebral palsy and you read Paul say, I will boast in my weakness. Or Job say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. There's a richness of understanding revealed that even angels cannot know. Those are my friends, that's his words. I'm encouraged by his story and his willingness to share it and his faith in that. And we go through all kinds of things. There's, there's things in your stories that maybe each other, some of, someone sitting next to you doesn't know or someone sitting next to you, you have no idea perhaps what they've gone through. But we can be comforted by each other as we share our stories. So, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, first you've got to get to know your story. Really get to know it. And get to know it in the sense of, in context of what God is doing. Now, we have to have help with that. You can't do that on your own. But you can. You can, you can invite people into your life to walk through that with you. Understanding what you've gone through, what you've been through, whatever it may be. It, it could be painful. But... You know, invite an elder, a prayer partner, a counselor, someone to help you understand it better because someone else outside of you is able to point out patterns, God's pattern of perhaps comfort, perhaps the way he's provided, perhaps the way he has sustained you through it that you weren't able to see. It's hard to see it, certainly, when you're going through something. But others, the church, the body of Christ, we need each other for that reason. So be willing to explore your story and get to know it and look for God's hand in it. Don't ignore your story. Don't ignore it. Because God wants to use it to bless and comfort others. And so not only get to know it, but be willing to share it. Now where it's appropriate, of course. And where you see that it will benefit and bless someone else when they need to be put back on solid ground and be told what's true. You can say, look, here's what happened to me and here's how God comforted me. Here's how God sustained me through this. Here's what he has done. I can look back and see it. And you can encourage that person to look back in the past and perhaps see what has God done in the past. Don't withhold your story. It's a means of comfort to those sitting right around you here today, other believers, people you know, even non-Christians, maybe especially so. They need to hear this comfort too, don't they? There's a, a broken, hurting world out there that's trying to ignore the hurting. And they need to know that there's a God who is a God of all comfort. So our God receives glory our stories as they're used for the sake of others. God also uses our story to make us more dependent on Him. Look at verse 8 with me. Paul says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Think about that for a minute. Just kind of think about where, where Paul was at. What was he feeling? I mean, that's a pretty tough place to be, to think about your, your strength is stripped away from you in such a way that you're despairing of life itself. 
that seems like something, well, I can't, if I feel that, can I actually say that? Is that something I should admit? I can't show weakness like that. But at the same time, sometimes if you're actually there, you, have no, you, you need to share it. Somebody needs to know that. But imagine what Paul's feeling there. He's saying, look, we, we thought we'd receive the sentence of death. Paul doesn't go into the specifics of this experience here. But you can imagine, it could be a number of things. Paul went through an awful lot. He does explain more throughout the letter. And I'll read just a couple of places, just again, to get us sort of into what Paul's story, what his experience was like. Just the next chapter over, Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, even though there was great opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed, he said, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. Paul left a place, Paul left a great opportunity for the proclamation of the gospel because of his own weakness. Because of distress of some kind. And, and so, to some degree, the context here uh, makes us believe that it was probably some of his distress was over his relationship with the church in Corinth. There was some conflict, there was some issues there, and he was in distress over the church. And he said, I can't handle it, I've got to move on. Further on in the letter, in chapter 11, he gives sort of a rundown of, he's like, here's, here's what I've been through. He said, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with the rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. The next chapter over, in chapter 12, Paul has pleaded with the Lord for he was given a thorn in his flesh, you know, a tormentor from Satan to keep him humble. And he pleaded with the Lord that it might leave him. And he says there, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So that the power of, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul's story, he could have boasted about so much. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He studied in depth of the Jewish religion. There was so much he could have said. Here's where I'm strong. Here's where I can teach everyone else. Here's where I am good. But instead, through Christ, he learned to embrace weakness so that the power of Christ, the strength of Christ, would show through in his life. Martin and I were talking just a little while before worship. Uh, you've seen those, um, 
those misspellings in the bulletins, you know, those embarrassing mistakes in bulletins. And Martin was saying that he'd seen one recently of a bulletin where it was listing out the staff and there was senior pastor said, our senior pastor preaches weekly and it was spelled W-E-A-K-L-Y. <laughs> you know, it could be embarrassing. But actually, Paul, maybe he would have asked for that to be written in the bulletin of his church. Paul says, I preach weekly so that the power and the strength of Christ may show forth through my life. Paul said he was given more than he could handle. He said our strength, we were so pressed beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It seems that God can and does give us more than we can handle. Why? Why was Paul given more than he could handle? Look in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's hope in God was, hey, this, this strength of his goes beyond death itself. I could be killed, but my, I'm relying on the Lord who raises the dead, who has raised the dead. And he goes on there in verse 10. I think about times again, if, again, where I'm in, under stress, anxiety, I'm worried about something, any kind of affliction. We can get boxed in, can't we? Sort of walled in where, you know, the wall's set up behind you and you are unable to look back at what God has done in the past. You get sort of walled off from what God has done. You forget. The wall comes down in front too and you forget to look ahead at what God has promised that he will do and said he will do. And on the side, too, you just sort of get isolated off. You can't see anything around you. What God is at work doing? You know what I'm talking about. You just sort of get, you feel isolated and boxed in when you're going through something hard. But Paul here, in verse 10, he sort of knocks these walls down, reminds himself of what's true. He said, he delivered us, past tense, from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us presently from whatever I'm going through now, he said, on him we've set our hope that he will, in the future, deliver us again. Even in resurrection from the dead. Now, we need people around us to knock those walls down with us again, like I said. We need people to remind us of what is true. We need each other to do that. And Paul had that. He, was, he had ministry partners. He wasn't on his own. He wasn't a lone, lone ranger minister. Even in verse 11, he showed his weakness and his need. He asked the church in Corinth, who to some degree he was in conflict with at the time. In verse 11, he says, you must help us. Please pray for me. Pray for me in this that I'm going through. And his, his purpose for asking for prayer is not so, so I'll be okay. I mean, certainly that would have been nice to have relief. But he says, pray for me so that many will give thanks on our behalf. If, if if you pray for me and God works and people see it, God will be glorified because of what I've gone through. Now, think about, let's think about this again. Our, our stories making us dependent on the Lord. How does that apply just in daily, even church life? There's a lot of ways this can apply. I think about anyone in leadership in any way 
certainly officers, ministry leaders, but in any shape, form, or fashion, if you lead anyone, even if it's a one-on-one discipleship, the question I would have for you is, are you leading out of weakness? Are you letting the strength of Christ come through your life? Or are you taking the approach of, I've got to use my own strength to get through to this person or these people and lead them out of strength? It's easy to say, it's easy to say, hey, lead out of your weakness, but it's really hard to apply that, isn't it? Because it goes completely against the world's view of leadership. The world's view of leadership is, the strong will lead. Don't show weakness, because that might bring your authority and your whole leadership into question. Think about parenting, even. A parent leading a child. Some of the best parenting advice I think I've ever been given, and I wish I did it more than I do, is go to your child when you sin against them and ask them for forgiveness. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's probably a fear in you of like, ooh, I gotta, I'm going to show weakness to my child. They're going to take advantage of that. But actually, it shows, it models the gospel for them, doesn't it? It shows, I don't have it in me. I need the Lord. I need Christ in my life, just like you do. And that can apply in any situation of leadership, can it? Paul said in his letter to Timothy, he said, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't say I was, and now I've got it together and let me help you. He said, I am the chief of sinners. As leaders, in any capacity, we need to be willing to say that. and Say, I need the gospel more than anybody else. So those who are following leaders in any capacity, in the church or in any way, are you willing to follow weakness? Or would you rather follow a strong, charismatic person? That you know, that's what the people in Corinth were, in a sense, doing, and they were discrediting Paul. They thought, "Paul, you look—you seem pretty weak. Like, is the power of God really in you? You seem like you're just going through so much stuff. And what's going on, Paul? We'd rather follow these guys over here who look strong. It happens easily." You see it all the time. You see a cult of personality in a church where there's a strong leader and everyone loves that guy. And when that guy moves on, people are like, whoa, where's he gone? Where's our leader gone? I want to say that the strong leaders in the church are those who know they need Jesus more than anything else. So it's important to not put unrealistic expectations on our leaders. In seminary, one of my professors, one day in a class, had us all stand up. He did it for everyone every year. He said, I want you all to stand up and quote John the Baptist and say, I am not the Christ. Because the temptation is to go out and lead a church and try to be the Christ for the congregation. A leader's job is to say, don't look at me. Look to Jesus. He's who you need. And I would say encourage your leaders. Pray for them and let them know that you are. Now, just as we're wrapping this up, the question could come up, how how does Christ's strength actually show through my weakness? How does that actually happen? 
Look at verse 5. It says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. There is what we refer to as our union with Christ. It's basically that you are bound to Christ. Your life is wrapped up in Christ and who He is. You belong to Him. In a sense, we are the bride of Christ. You could think about it in terms of a marriage. So it's not this sort of like feel-goodism like, oh, you know, Christ's strength will show through your weakness. It'll, it'll all work out and it'll be fine. And, you know, there's an actual real union that your life and your story has to Christ and His story. The title of the sermon was Our Story in the Context of God's Grand Story. So your story, the things you've gone through are not in isolation. They're not haphazard. Everything matters. Everything has purpose. Romans 8. Romans 8.17 says, If we are children for children of God, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We are co-heirs with Christ. We co-suffer with Him and we are co-glorified with Him. Our story is united to, to Christ's story. His strength becomes our strength. His perfect righteous life is credited to us. His death becomes our death. That is how Christ's strength shows through our weakness. Jesus is at the center of God's grand story. I was talking with a good friend of mine the other day, um, and we were just talking about how life can sometimes be discouraging. And how we, we tend to want to see God do something extraordinary in our lives. We're, in a sense, we feel like we're waiting for God to do something amazing, something awesome. And we keep waiting. And my friend pointed out the fact, he said, you know, all the while we're doing that, a lot of times we're missing out on the daily, ordinary, mundane parts of our lives where God is actually at work. Even the hard stuff. Even the hard stuff. He brings comfort. And he's shaping our story. And our story is not for us. It's for the sake of others. And it's only for us in the sense of it makes us more dependent on Christ. An unsubmissive heart will in futility try to make sense of its own story. An unsubmissive heart will will separate itself from God and say, I can figure this out on my own, I'll figure it out, I'll get it done, and you're left by yourself. But as your life is submitted to God and His story of redemption, it begins to make sense. Not all at once. Over time, as you understand more about who He is, as you engage with the body of Christ, it begins to make sense. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, but you're wrestling with the same types of things, what's my story all about? Why have the things in my life happened? 
it doesn't make sense, I want to encourage you that it can and will make sense as you submit your life, your story to God's story, to Christ. He is at the center of God's story. And then our stories fit in with this grand story of redemption. Not only do we get to understand what God's doing, but in a sense we take part in what God is doing. And our lives matter. They have significance. They have purpose. And God uses them to comfort and bless others and even invite people into the kingdom. So as you go today, consider your story. Consider how it will bring God glory and how it will bring comfort to others. Or even consider how you might be comforted by the rest of the church and by others and their stories. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, again, you have not left us to ourselves to try to figure everything out on our own. But Lord, you have made known your story, something that is far more than anything we can imagine. And not only do we get to see it, we get to take part in it. Lord, may we see ways that our lives can bring you glory. May we see ways that we can bring comfort to each other as we submit our lives more and more every day to your son Jesus. Then it's in his name that we give you thanks. Amen.